Hey, it's not quite the DeLorean, but we're going back in time with a new podcast feed full of all my favorite interviews in the history of the Bill Simmons podcast. We're coming up on seven years now. I've had an unbelievable collection of athletes, celebrities, showrunners, directors, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Shirley Theron, Tom Hanks, Bill Burr, Kevin Durant, Peyton Manning, The Undertaker, Eddie Vedder, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he actually came on. Dave Grohl, Quavo, Barack Obama. I mean, what else can I tell you? I've had Al Pacino with Barry Levinson. I've had people like Steph Curry, Jason Bateman, John C. Riley, Jonah Hill. I could just, I could keep going and going. But wait, there's more. Whether it's your first time or you're planning on revisiting some of your favorites, make sure you head to BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Follow the Bill Simmons podcast, The Interviews, on Spotify now. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Lucasfilm and Disney Plus presenting an all-new Star Wars series, The Acolyte. Stream the two-episode premiere June 4th and witness an investigation into a shocking crime spree where secrets will emerge and no one is safe from the truth. The Acolyte, two-episode premiere, streaming June 4th only on Disney+. Plus. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. Monday edition of New York, New York. We yours truly, J.J. Johnson Stremski. And stop the presses. The Yankees won a game. Oh, baby, they won a game. Stop the presses. My goodness, what a horror this weekend was. And Saturday had to be rock bottom for me in the 2022 season. You have the early lead. They, they miss out on a couple of chances. Cole gives up the four spot. He's all bent out of shape. I get this fake tough guy act from Aaron Boone after the game. Uh, I mean, it looked as phony and as ridiculous as humanly possible with him banging the table, but I get it. He's trying to do something, and the Yankees can't get out of their own way to the point where on Sunday, you are realistically thinking about the Yankees getting swept four straight games by Toronto and that the American League East, which has felt like a foregone conclusion for months that the Yankees are going to win and that they were going to win going away was in some serious jeopardy. So Sunday's Paul O'Neill day. Great to see the Warrior. Great to see all the Yankees. Wish Cheetah was there. Cheetah should have been there. But that's the story for a different day. They introduced Hal Steinbrenner. 
They boo the shit out of him. I thought it was great. I was laughing my ass off. It's fantastic. Hey, Hal, the Yankee fan is not going to be happy with the performance they've seen on the field over the last six weeks and the fact that the team hasn't won in 12 or 13 years and they feel like you don't go the extra mile to build a championship caliber team. They're going to give you the business a little bit. Welcome to life in New York City, my man. Not always sunshine and lollipops. But that was telling from the Yankee fan. It it wasn't to the extreme of John Mara at the Eli retirement ceremony last year because the Giants were just by far and away a bigger laughingstock. I mean, the Yankees still a first-place team. The Giants, we know the story there. But to have that backdrop on Paul O'Neill Day, it's like, man, the Yankees have to win this game. They got everything out of Nesta Cortez that they didn't get out of Garrett Cole on Saturday. And I'll say it again. Game one, the starter I have the most confidence in from a Yankee perspective. And maybe I should have reconsidered putting Cole on and leaving Nestor off the New York top 15 list. Nestor is my dude, man. The guy's got moxie. He's not phased. He's got all sorts of funk against the Blue Jay lineup. The only mistake is the double doink home run by Merrifield. And he's pitching, leads with a lead. But then the much maligned Yankee bullpen, you're like, what's going to go on here? Boone gets outsmarted. They, 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 Peralta, they take a wise guy out. They go to Peralta, Fabigio. Boom, they counter with George Springer. And what does George Springer do? He gets a hit. You're walking Jackie Bradley Jr. And the game's tied. I'm like, the Yankees are going to lose this game. Every Yankee fan across the tri-state area is saying to themselves, the Yankees are going to lose this game. Thank goodness. Andrew Benintendi stepped up the way that he did. Now, Benintendi was a guy I was screaming about for months. We know Benintendi has not hit a whole lot since he's put a Yankee uniform on. Bad hitting, as you know, is contagious. It's been very contagious from a Yankee standpoint. That is an enormous swing of the bat by Andrew Benintendi. No other way around it. That was a big pick-me-up that hopefully will jumpstart him and get him going. Yankees need him to hit. With some of the dead weight they're carrying around in this lineup, they need more out of Andrew Benintendi. That is an enormous two-run homer. You got unbelievable work out of Trevino in the seventh, in the eighth, and then he closes the game out in the ninth inning. And the Yankees desperately get a win going into the Subway Series. Because imagine getting swept four straight by the Blue Jays, and then boom, you got to stare. Scherzer, DeGrom potentially in the face. Who knows what the weather is going to be. But, like, the Yankees needed this game on Sunday. Needed it. Can't stress that enough. Then you get to the other team in town. And, my goodness, they've had a lot of signature wins. They've had a lot of field goal wins. This is one of their best wins of the year come Sunday. Because the Mets had every reason on Sunday to pack it in with the way this game was going. They're starting a pitcher that I have to be honest, I never heard of before the game. Never heard of him. Budo, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Because they don't have Walker. They don't have Carrasco. They have Max and Jake lined up for Monday and Tuesday at Yankee Stadium. And the Mets fall behind early. They fall behind early. Rain hits. And it's like, all right, this is so easy for us to say, it's not our day. We got to split with the Phillies. We did what we needed to do this weekend. But, the Astros finally help you out. They finally take care of the Braves. You come out of the rain delay, and this is the difference between the Mets of this year and the Mets of prior years. They came out and said, we got a game to win. Let's go and get it. And that's exactly what they did. The uh, finance guy, Fisher, 
great story. Maybe he's Jimmy Morris part two, maybe not. But you always look back on three innings of one hit, zero run baseball, kept the Mets in it, and then the heroics of Mark Canna. Mark Canna is a pro's pro. He has lost playing time with Naquin and Vogelback coming to this team. And he's actually played better over these last couple of weeks. He's made the most of his opportunities. And he hits the home run to tie it. Then Segura hits the home run off of May. And Mets fans, if you want to see Trevor May pitching in big spots, you're out of your freaking mind. I wouldn't trust that guy at all in a big-time postseason situation. Don't trust him. Segura hits the home run, but then the Mets fight back in the ninth. Off of Robertson, the guy you wanted at the trade deadline, Cannon does it again. Spectacular, clutch, heroic performance for him. And then Diaz makes you sweat in the ninth inning, clearly a game where he didn't have his best stuff, and you go and take three out of four from the Phillies. And the Mets own the Phillies this year. The Phillies invented ways to lose games against the Mets, and the Mets, to their credit, found ways to win against Philly, whether they were kicking the ball around, whether it's bad relief work, you name it. The Phillies couldn't beat the Mets. The Mets smoked them this year. What a win for them. And they need it because the Braves win basically every single day. But with a little Astro help, the lead is back to four games as you get ready for Monday and Tuesday at the Subway Series, weather permitting. And I'm bummed. We're not going to be at Billy's uh, tomorrow because the weather is just, it's too dicey. I don't know if they're going to play on Monday. And we'll be out there at some point in September. But the show is off for tomorrow, the live. We'll have stuff after the games, of course. But it was just too dicey. There's too much going on. But whenever they do play the Subway Series, know this. The Mets have the upper hand. There's no getting around that. They're going to be heavy favorites in both of these games. They got Scherzer in game one. They got Jacob DeGrom lined up in game number two. And the way things stand right now, the Mets are just a far more formidable team. Now, that can change between now and October. We know that. We understand that. But as you get ready for this latest installment of the Subway Series, if you're looking at it reasonably and you're comparing and contrasting the two teams, who would you rather be? The Mets or the Yankees? It's not even close. You'd rather be the Mets. And if I were to say right here and right now, who is more likely to represent their league in the World Series coming up in October? How could you fight me on the answer being the New York Yankees? It's got to be the Mets. With those three pitchers, with Diaz in the ninth inning, with the way they've put the ball in play, the Mets have that look. They have that feel. And I wonder if this Subway Series is an opportunity for them to flex that much more on the Yankees. Or does this particular two-game set bring out the best in the Yankees? Problem is, they're compromised. They're compromised in the bullpen. You don't trust Chapman. You lose that Frost now to a shoulder injury. I have no idea what the deal is going to be with Holmes moving forward. The Yankees have, Yankees have bullpen issues. The bottom of the Yankee order is weak. You're waiting on Stanton. You're waiting on Carpenter. Are they going to call up Peraza? I mean, they've already called up Cabrera and Floreal. What are you waiting for with Peraza, for goodness sakes? Get him up here. The Mets are just in better shape, period, across the board going into these two games. And I'm not beating around the bush. The Yankees can somehow, someway split these two games, get out and dodge, and go to the West Coast. I'm going to sign. Because... On paper, advantage Mets, 
Mets are going to be like minus 160, 170 in both of these games. Think about that on the road. 160, 170. But that's what happens when you have Scherzer and DeGrom and the Yankees are running out Herman and they're going to run out Montez, who's been terrible. So looking forward to the Subway Series. And I think the Mets fans are going to be looking forward to it that much more because even when it went on Sunday, not everything is sunshine and lollipops in the Yankee land. One football note, before we get to Doug Williams, before we unveil the final eight of the New York top 10 list, you better hope the Giants dodge the bullet with Kayvon Thibodeau. Preseason game, Jones looked all right. The biggest story, though, hands down, Thibodeau goes down. Cheap block, by the way. Cheap, dirty, no other way around it. Disgusting block. And I'd be sick over it if I'm a Giant fan. I'd be sick over it if I'm Thibodeau. Looks like he's about to get caught off the field, walks off the field, goes into the medical tent, but then he's smiling, he's laughing. We know we're waiting on MRI results. He seems to think he's fine. Giants better hope so. I mean, they took him top five in the draft. They desperately need a pass rusher to be alongside Ojolari. You need Thibodeau to be a big-time player on this defense. If this defense is going to overachieve and surprise anybody, you need that one-two punch getting after the quarterback. So... You're a Giant fan. Say a prayer over the next 24, 48 hours that everything is A-OK for Kayvon Thibodeau. So that was uh, quite the scare. And it's why preseason football, I hate it. I don't want any of my starters to play. I want to just get it over with and get ready for the start of the season. Because I don't even think there's much value in these players getting reps in these preseason games. Because it's not the same. They're going to have speed anyway. It's a joke. Total joke. But we got a loaded show for you. We'll finish up the top eight. Really top 15 if we're thinking about it. But, you know, it's the top eight. Thing. So I'm going to roll with that. Doug Williams, my old pal from SOI, who's doing all sorts of radio these days, big time baseball guy, knows baseball very, very well. He's going to join us. We'll have some fun with the Subway Series. We got voicemails, we got trivia, all that and more. But our buddy, Dougie Williams, up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Yankees desperately needed a win. They get a win. The Mets probably put another game in a category of, I'm not going to say it was the win of the year, but it's definitely one of their wins of the year. And we welcome back a guy who was with us opening weekend of baseball. He was with us when the Donaldson trade went down. What a disaster that has been. Um, and he's been all over the map. He's doing some national radio. He did some work at my old employee, WFAN, the former host of Baseball Night in New York for a long time over at SNY, my main man, Dougie Williams. What's up, buddy? JJ, great to see you. Great to hear you. Glad to be back on. There's a lot to chew on, dude. You know, I don't think either one of us was super amped about the Yankees going into the start of the year. Like, I thought they'd be better than 2021. I never in a million years thought they'd play as well as they played over the first three plus months of the year. But then they go through the July and the August that we have experienced. And Doug, I, I was thinking about this on Saturday. I can't think of a stretch outside of September of 2000 where it felt like you were waking up every single day with the realization that the Yankees were going to lose. Like, they had some mediocre teams. Don't get me wrong. Their team was mediocre. 
14 was mediocre, 16 was mediocre. But this sort of stretch where it's like, holy smokes, what has gone on with this team? It, 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 it hit rock bottom for sure on Saturday. And it almost felt like Al Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman are getting booed on Sunday. It's like, dude, they better find a way to win a game for goodness sakes. And they did. And Benintendi coming up with the homer was the really the, the best case scenario for any Yanks fan. But I, I'm glad you brought up the Donaldson trade because I remember talking about that with you. Um, and I'm trying to refresh my memory. So you and I were in agreement that the offseason generally was underwhelming, right? That, that, that they didn't do enough to, even though Sanchez was gone, it felt a little bit like that definition of insanity thing, right? Where, you know, you're doing the same thing over and over again with just the roster construction and you're expecting a different result. I generally felt like if the Yankees were to finish in fourth place this year, I wouldn't be shocked given what they did this past offseason. So then, like you just said, I felt crazy in June and July. But let me ask you this because I don't remember where you were because I feel like we've now experienced two completely different Yankee seasons in one. Were you high on the team in the early summer months so much so that you kind of forgot about what you were worried about going into the year? And I asked that. Yes, yes. You were. So uh -huh. you were, because I know you go to a lot of games and I've been to a lot of games this year more often than usual because I'm not hosting every night at six anymore. And early in the season, like, I felt the vibe, but I will say that I remember thinking one through five starting rotation, they're almost too good and too healthy. I've never seen a starting rotation like with that level of success and remain and stay healthy all year long. And I remember thinking, I wonder if this is sustainable. And then, you know, we've been proven right. Even after we might have bought in JJ, we've now been proven right for being concerned this past offseason that, like, what are they doing with Donaldson? Uh, is IKF really going to be an improvement? You're betting on Glaber Torres, and they didn't go after Pablo Lopez at the deadline. They held on to him. Uh, Rizzo's a good player, but he's not Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, you go around, Stanton, I will never say a bad word about the man and give him his two or three IL stints during years to make sure he's rested for October when he's a stud. Judge is obviously one of the best, you know, to ever wear the pinstripes at this point. So, you know, I, I feel like as crazy as it sounds, given the ups and the downs, singular actually in both cases, um, they kind of are what I thought they were. Do you do you agree, disagree? With I you get that. I totally get that. And your point about the starting pitching is fair. Losing Severino, I think, was a big key. And I don't think it's getting talked about nearly enough because he was pitching his ass off for the Yankees. He was kind of developing like an all-star type resume. He was right there, goes down, and they've missed Severino. But I think the biggest reason, Doug, they suckered us in and they have kind of zapped the life away from us is what they've done offensively. The biggest reason the Yankees are in the predicament they're in over the last six weeks, it is the lineup and it is the bullpen. But from an offensive standpoint, we've seen this so many different times in postseason where it's like they can't hit good pitching. They can't string together hits. And it's the sort of stuff that you say, oh, come October, this is going to kill this team. And you know what, dude? I'm glad you mentioned Stanton. They're not the same team when he doesn't play. And you Absolutely. know who else they miss dramatically? Carpenter. Carpenter was a badass for them. He was hitting. He was putting the ball in play. He had so many big home runs. You don't realize Donaldson and Glaber nearly as much when they're hitting sixth or seventh in the order 
But when you slide them up, all of a sudden, Stanton's gone. Carpenter's gone. In comes Glaber. In comes Donaldson into all those high leverage situations. You feel it, dude. Like, that's I will say, though, what I'm concerned about, that lineup. The Yankees should not, even though Carpenter was great. Like, Carpenter arrived. He was Babe Ruth. But the Yankees, I'm not letting them off the hook because of Matt Carpenter injury. He was sitting on his couch, basically. He was triple-A. He flamed out with the Cardinals. Like, I like the guy, and I think he was a breath of fresh air, especially from the left side of the plate. He's not that kind of all-or-nothing hitter. I liked the addition, and obviously it worked. But the Yankees were in a position where they went there, took a chance on him when every other team in baseball could have. They did, and it worked. But I'm not going to say that you know that injury is why the Yankees are where they are. And two points I would make. First, you're right about Stanton. And it is difficult in the moment, right? When you're watching the Yankees, you're so frustrated. When LeMayhew seems banged up, he's not coming up clutch in big spots. And Donaldson and Glaber are seemingly always up runners in scoring position, never come up big, right? It's difficult in that moment when you're watching the game on your couch to blame the guy who's not there. In the moment, you're like, why is Donaldson batting cleanup? Why does he hit 220? Why did the Yankees make this move? Or with Glaber, why isn't he the 2018 version of himself? Why haven't we seen that guy again? Well, when reality hits, it's probably that Judge is pressing because Stanton's not in the lineup and it trickles down from there. Uh, you're talking about Severino, such a good point. Again, that's the type of, you know, the, the way we should analyze the team is who's not there. And, and, and how is that affecting them? And the second point I would make is even, and that's why I asked you to, to, to start this about where you were when they were playing well. Because do you remember when they lost that series to the Astros and Boone was asked about it and said, look, bottom line, we got to beat him in October. And that's one of those Aaron Boone answers that I was like, this, this guy might be flawed as a manager, but at least he gets it. He says the right thing. But even when the Yankees were hot, I never thought they were better than the Astros. And I can't, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I'm watching a roster in Houston that has lost George Springer and lost Carlos Correa and still somehow they're better than the Yankees. And lost Garrett I, Cole. And lost Garrett I, I, Cole. I lost Garrett Cole to the Yankees, where by the way, he is now not an ace and not a stopper. That guy's gone. So look, even when they were playing well, I still thought they were the second best team in the American League. So, uh, yeah. They're, they're missing key pieces, but even at their best, I think it was a flawed roster to even need Matt Carpenter in the first place. And I still think they were always not going to be able to get over the hump. And, and the kind of point about me saying they are who I thought they were is to say that they're in between the peak and the valley. They're, they're somewhere in between there. They're going to win the division anyway. I have no doubt about that, but I just don't think they're you know, that 110 win pace team. And I don't think they're as bad as they're playing now. All right. What concerns you more? Bullpen lineup over the final two months and into the postseason? Uh, bullpen lineup will come around. And when Boone slams his hand on that table, he was obviously trying to send a message to the fan base. He wanted the fans to see their own reaction reflected in the manager. I think he succeeded with that. I think he was also trying to send a message to the players. In my opinion, that was a message to Brian Cashman. Like, I, not that Boone is trying to appeal to the GM. I don't think he cares about that. And I think they have enough conversations where he doesn't have to do that. But in my opinion, I'm thinking this guy really 
And I know you weren't a proponent of bringing Boone back. No. But I was listening, I was listening to him and being like, it really isn't on him. It's not on him that. Oh, it can't be on the last month. And you know, I'm not his biggest fan. And I've seen him mismanage plenty of games, including a couple of those Subway Series games where, like, the. The contrast in the dugout, I thought, was like I mean, eye opening. Pinch hit. He's but that's pinch the thing, Marlon Gonzalez, Aaron, Aaron Hicks. Yeah, well, that's one. That, but explain that one to me, Doug. What are you doing now? Listen again. Boone is not the reason they've stunk up the joint for six weeks. No, but how he's can not... you watch Aaron Hicks hit and send him up with the game on the line Dude, uh, on Wednesday fans, night? I couldn't believe Yankees that. Fans, Yankees fans are sitting at home enjoying themselves on the couch, and they're like, oh, it's so nice not watching Aaron Hicks hit. And they're like, oh, what, we're choosing to put him in the lineup, right? Correct. So doesn't make sense. But back to your question, bullpen, because the lineup, I still believe, will figure it out. And even like you could say, let's say they finally come to their senses and bring Peraza up. Let's say Bader comes back and gives them something because I think Bader's a pretty good player and they got him when he's in a walking boot. Obviously, that's not ideal, but I still think that's potentially going to take playing time away from Aaron Hicks, which will be a good thing. And once Judge get the, gets the protection back of Giancarlo Stanton and hopefully a less all-or-nothing version of Rizzo in the middle of that lineup, then I think they'll be fine. But bullpen, I don't really know where the optimism comes from because even if it's... Chapman being back to himself. That's a one inning reliever. And Chapman's great, but he's not the stopper that you get on other teams where he goes eight, nine, maybe rests the next day, and he can be a two inning guy. They need somebody to step up, whether it's Holmes when he comes back, whether it's Lewisica. Wandy Peralta is clearly a favorite of Baron Boom, but he's got to be better than he was this afternoon. So yeah, it's bullpen because I see the depth in their lineup and I see Carpenter coming back too eventually. And I'm like, that will eventually come back to kind of the mean. The bullpen, I'm not sure on paper. I look at it where I'm like, yeah, reality is where they need to get back to and they'll be better once they're there. I think it's just always going to be a concern. If Chapman's closing games for this team, they're absolutely cooked. They need Holmes to come back and he doesn't even need to be as huh. good as he was, Doug, like in April and May, but he's got to be. Better than the world is Chapman, dude. I've I, I've done the you're, Chapman. You're, you're done with you're done with Chapman. I, I he's get it. never, bro. They can pitch him, and, and you can get suckered in. He's like the girl with the curl, bro. Like you could get suckered in, see three or four good outings, like you saw up in Boston. But then they put him in extra innings against what was it Tampa the other night, and the implosion. The implosion can happen at any point. So I'm, let me just say I'm one thing. You, though, to make go, go ahead, go ahead. Let me say one thing to make you feel better make myself feel better, make any other Yankee fan feel better. How many Astros bullpens in all the years they've been beating up on the Yankees in October have you been afraid of? Not many. No, I don't you know think who's the guy. You know who's the guy that scared me in the Astro bullpen, believe it or not? It was never Osuna. It was never Presley. It was uh, Joe Smith because he'd come in, he'd be all funky on Judge and Stanton, and the Yankee lineup yeah. would be all right-handed. They couldn't hit him. That would but, be the guy in the Astro bullpen. Aside from that, though, no, they did not scare. Yeah, me. so the Astros utilize starting pitching depth, which is so October uh, experience because every year they go on deep playoff runs. So like Lance McCullers throws twenty five straight curveballs against the Yankees, and they have no idea what they're looking at. So I look at the rotation: get healthy, get Severino healthy, get Frankie Montas to be able to pitch in New they York. They got to get him going, man. They got to you know, get him so going. He can't be this bad. He yeah, can't no. be this bad. And I'm not ready to say he's Sonny Gray part two. I know we all like to be prisoners of the moment, but you know how a narrative can form, Doug, in this town. Yeah. And if he does not right the ship, like he goes up against the Mets this week, 
If he stinks it up against the Mets when everybody's watching the Subway Series, he thinks it's bad now. Just wait 48 hours from now, Dave. I was saying, I, I said on the fan last night, I was, I was with Cashman. I trust his like kind of smaller trades. Like even the Montgomery trade looks silly on paper that you got rid of pitching depth that you brought in a guy who's hurt. But even that's the type of trade that I think Cashman will win. Even when Cashman trades prospects, he's generally pretty good at. They rarely turn in anything for other teams. But when Cashman brings in big name starting pitchers, I don't know about you. I think Paxton, I think Sonny Gray, I think Pineda. There's a long list of guys that he's tried to bring in to be that two or three in a rotation that goes in October and suddenly you don't trust them as much as you do the guys that were already on the roster. So. Yeah, it, Montas has to be better or else suddenly you're going to be looking at basically the exact same rotation they've lost with consecutive years. Uh, I can't have Javi Vasquez, Sonny Gray reincarnated. At least Paxton had a big-time playoff performance against the Astros um, yeah, and then just yeah. couldn't get out of the first inning and then couldn't keep his left arm intact. So I, I always feel like Paxton is one of those guys that, like, I saw it, like, I, I believed in it, but it just sometimes when it's not meant to be, um, it's not meant to be. Before we get to the Mets, did you ever think you'd be living in a world where we're discussing a game one potential starter for the Yankees not being Garrett Cole? Because, dude, listen, he's going to be a game one starter. Like, we all know it. They're paying him a gazillion dollars. He's been an ace for plenty of years. I have more confidence in Cortez. There's no other way around it. He fights. He battles. He's funky. Like, if you're asking me who gives me the most comfort Yankee pitching perspective, it's not even close, dude. It's Nestor by a mile, man. Yeah, and also the the Cole thing is such a huge story that because the Yankees offensively have been so bad, we only talk about it really every fourth or fifth day because, you know, Cole doesn't, you know, it's other than occasionally like against the Red Sox on, I think it was opening day, and then against the Mariners a couple of weeks ago where he just gets blown up early. And then obviously it's the story. But other than that, when he gives up three or four runs, the team isn't scoring enough runs. It's more about the bats. But big picture, the Yankees paid Garrett Cole to be the guy that he had become in Houston after leaving Pittsburgh, and they got the Pittsburgh version. They're paying the Pittsburgh version 300-something million to be uh, a stopper. Exactly what he was supposed to be on Saturday afternoon, and exactly what he wasn't. So you're right, he will pitch game one, but you can't go into a series thinking, that that every team that's ever had Verlander or Scherzer, for example, knows they're going into that game with the advantage just based on starting pitching. And the Yankees are looking for six solid innings out of Cole, just like they are with a three or four starter every time he takes them out. So that yeah, and that hurts him, Doug. That's a great point. You see, what Scherzer, you see what Scherzer's doing with the Mets. You've seen what Verlander's done throughout his career. It's not that on the surface Cole's been bad with the Yankees numbers because no, he hasn't good. been. He's good. He's been an all-star. The strikeout yeah, numbers good. are there. The innings are there. He's durable. Like, all a part of the equation. But from that, like, quote-unquote, ace perspective, Scherzer's on the mound Monday. The Mets fan thinks, okay, I'm getting seven innings, one run, uh, one walk, 11 strikeouts. That's what I'm getting. With Cole, you don't have that same feeling as a Yankee fan. You don't. Think about Scherzer's contracts, obviously with the Nationals and now with the Mets. Like the guy earns every cent. And, and, and forget about DeGrom too. Every time DeGrom pitches, granted he's had health issues and I don't know if it's sustainable to keep doing what he's doing, 
in terms of his health. Every time DeGrom pitches, he's good. Every time. The last time he wasn't dominant was in 2020, where he just threw a ton of pitches. I think it was against the Phillies in Philly, threw a ton of pitches. And I don't even know if he gave up any runs, but he walked the ballpark and lasted like two innings. But you know, if you're a Met fan, like going into the series against the Yankees, you're going to get two quality starts. If they don't, I'd be shocked. That is an ace. And Garrett Cole's not that. Not, not, not that stopper level ace. The Mets have had a lot of feel good moments this year. They've had a lot of signature wins. This was a signature win on Sunday. They have no pitching going into this game. They fall behind early. They have a rain delay where they have every excuse to basically say, hey, guess what? Not our day. Got to split. Subway Series Monday, Tuesday. Let's get back. Let's get the hell out of here. Away we go. To fight back, tie the game up with the can of Homer. Give up the Segura two-run shot. And then come back and hit another home run and find a way to win in the ninth inning. I mean, dude, does that tell you about the Mets or what? Like, those are the sort of games I look at where I say, that team's got an it factor about them. They have a sort of character about them that should really suit them well going into September, going into October. Because that's a game most normal teams, dude, they, they're packing in and saying, hey, let's get out of here. I know you're going to agree with what I'm about to say. If managers had war, if that was the stat, Bucks would be the highest in baseball. And oh, the I totally part, agree. And don't tell crazy... me a manager don't matter when you watch that no. team, Doug. You watch the Mets. You did all those shows. You saw all the incompetent managers they had. Uh, the last two were just don't get me started. Callaway was an embarrassment. And Louis Rojas wasn't ready to be a big league manager. They got one of the best in business now doing anything in Joe Walker. And, and, and he was sitting on his ass because every team across baseball, for some reason, over the last decade, has decided that this position, the only position in Major League Baseball that is front-facing in front of the media twice a day, before the game and after the game, they've decided that this position is based on can you cooperate, coordinate, collaborate with us, the front office. And, you know, you know me, JJ, I'm not an old-school baseball guy. I'm 31 years old. I've, I've been watching the sport my whole life, but I'm down. If you're going to hire a young manager and it's going to be, you know, Dave Roberts, Craig Council, one of the guys who stays in a market for a long time because clearly he has it. That's one thing. But for Buck to not have a job and then get a job and be one of the best at his job, if not the best in Major League Baseball, that should tell you something, that maybe there are boomers out there that can both collaborate with the front office and bring experience into the job and bring that feeling in a clubhouse where Buck walks in the room as a leader of men and makes a difference, right? Maybe he strikes a little bit of fear in you because you realize how long he's been in the league, how long he's been in the job. So everything starts with him. JJ, every time on SNY that they bring, they pan the camera over to the dugout, what's, what's going on in the dugout? Everybody's talking. It's Hefner, the pitching coach, talking to Scherzer. If Scherzer's not pitching, he's got a fat lip in and he's on the front step of the dugout with DeGrom. DeGrom's talking. Bassett's talking. Canna, Escobar. So it's not just Buck facilitating that vibe. The front office spent the entire offseason bringing in guys that they knew would be good, not just for their team and for each other, but for everyone else in the clubhouse. So when Canna comes up big, you saw Pete Alonso hop the front step and was more pumped than anybody else. Um, honestly, they're as deep as any team in the big leagues. And the reason I bring Buck up, especially coming off their win on Sunday, is because they went into the weekend so in at pitching 
knowing that they have DeGrom and Scherzer going in the Yankees series, and they still were able to do what they did in Philly. And that's credit to him. It's credit for him putting the, uh, you know, the young pitchers in a position to succeed. And they, they, they feel like that scrappy contact team. They're everything that the Yankees are not. And that's why it's so fascinating, not just to compare and contrast these two teams, but they're about to face each other. It's a great point about the soft contact. And I know the Braves have had complaints. And I know the Phillies have had complaints. Give me a break. Strider, Wheeler, I don't want to hear it. Guess what? Bottom line is this. You either get hits or you don't. The old expression is, hey, it's a line drive in a box score. Well, guess what? It's a line drive in a box score. If you bloop a single in and you make contact with two strikes or you go and get a two-out hit, I'm at the point now, Doug, and I know a lot of the advanced stats folks, the BAPIP, they say it's not sustainable. The Mets can't keep doing this offensively. Well, it's August now, and they continue to produce from an offensive standpoint. I think it's pretty damn sustainable, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and Jeff McNeil is a perfect example of this whole conversation, right? Occasionally, he gets a cheap hit. But, okay, maybe that's because he chokes up on the bat six inches, and he's a pretty selfless player, and he's able to do the things that Yankee fans for years have been watching, you know, Mark Teixeira, even Stanton in some cases, Luke Voigt, Greg Bird, unable to do those things. It's all or nothing, right? And so when Wheeler comes out and says, I made my pitches, it's unfortunate. It's part of the game when guys get lucky hits. Dude, you walked four. You lasted five and a third. Mets fans know that story. They've seen it a thousand times before. We threw, threw too many pitches. You walked too many guys. You gave up a couple hits. And and by the way, it just it's going to motivate the Mets to do what they did on Sunday afternoon, which is Canna hitting the ball 105 miles an hour into the stands. So I'm sick of the complaints about cheap hits. Every starting pitcher after they face the Mets, other than Wheeler talking about what he talked about, talks about how they grind at bats, they take pitches, they foul balls off. And even if that results in a 72-mile-an-hour dunker into the left center field gap, at least it means that you're getting pitch counts up on starting pitchers and, and making their life difficult. Nobody wants to face that team right now. Diaz and his turnaround. And he didn't have great stuff today. This was not vintage Edwin Diaz. He gave up a couple of hard-hit balls. Phillies just missed a three-run homer. Like, it, it was one of those games where it felt like it was iffy Diaz. But, Doug, we talk about narratives in New York, how it's very difficult to overcome that negative narrative. Diaz's first year was as bad as can be. Even 2020 and even in 2021, better statistical years but you couldn't fully commit and fully trust that this guy was going to be locked down in the ninth inning. To see what he has done this year, Doug, the guy's been the best closer in all baseball. It, 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 it doesn't happen. Like, I was trying to think of an example of a maligned New York athlete who kind of stuck around long enough and ended up living up to the billing and living up to the promise. I can't really think of one, dude, because... They either do it in their second year or normally they're gone. Diaz stuck yeah. around and good for him, man. Really happy to see what he's done this year. Yeah, it's crazy to think about that trade now, looking back too, given the way that Kelnick has struggled in Seattle. I mean, Brody, Beatty's been a little shaky the past couple of days, but, you know, Brody's drafts and Brody making that trade, you're right. We had made up our mind. This market had made up its mind about Edwin Diaz, that he could not be a closer here. And he has not just proven us wrong. 
he's become the best closer in baseball. And we've now seen over the course of the last month, you mentioned Sunday, him not have his best stuff and still get the job done. And he's closing games in, in Atlanta, in Philly, close one-run games. He's coming into games where, you know, he wasn't even supposed to be available because of pitch counts the day before. I mean, what more can you ask for? The dude's a stud. And I think um, when you watch the Mets play on a game where Scherzer or DeGrom pitches and Edwin Diaz closes it out and they strike out 14 or 15 guys combined, that's going to be a tough team to beat in October, man. And, and, the, and the thing is, too, if you're a Met fan, what what's even if you lose in, let's say, the, uh, the NLDS, CS, World Series, whatever, you've got an owner who is the richest owner in the sport, who's a fan of the team, who will get angry the way George used to get angry if they do lose in embarrassing fashion in October. You've got Aaron Judge set to reach the free agent market. You've got Shohei Otani in a year set to reach the free agent market. If you're a Met fan, why would you not think that your owner is going to go after those guys? So the, It's a great time to be a Met fan, man. It is, and I agree with the aggressive pursuit that Cohen will have on any of these guys. Not sure about Judge yet, but of course they're going to make the call. The thing with the Mets, though, Doug, the age of these pitchers, DeGrom, opt out. Don't know what his future is going to be. Does he want to live in New York? Does he want to stay being a Met? Nobody. There's been some weird smoke going on with Jake. Nobody seems to really fully understand what's going on there. Scherzer, as great as he's been, he's not 27. He's on the north side of 35. So, yes, I think Cohen will be aggressive. Yes, I think they'll be a contender year in and year out. But, dude, when you got an opportunity to seize a window, with those two guys who are right, who are humming, who are going, I want to make the most of it right here and right now. Yeah, you're right. Plus Carrasco, plus Taiwan Walker. All of them have had trouble staying healthy. They're the oldest team in the big leagues. Yankees being number two. Um, You're right. I don't think of it as a window because I do believe that they will be good and good for a long time. But look at the Braves for an example. The Braves obviously lock up every young position player who succeeds in their uniform. They've got Albies. They've got Acuna. They've got Austin Riley. They've got Matt Olson. They've got Michael Harris now. So that's position player side. And all of their starting pitchers are basically 26 or younger. So they're going to be good for another decade. Uh, the Mets are going to have to be aggressive in order to compete with them. So I only think that's going to motivate them, though. I'm not sure it makes me less confident. And by the way, from everything that I've heard about DeGrom, the way he's wired, uh, obviously coming from DeLamp, Florida, I think as soon as he, the day he retires, we will rarely, if ever, hear from him again. I don't know if that means he wants to go play in Atlanta, where the pressure is low, where he's a little bit closer to home, where it's a market that more accurately kind of reflects what he's about. But um, you're right that there's an opt-out looming and who knows how much longer he'll be pitching in their uniform. But also, I don't know how much longer he'll be pitching in general, given the way his body's held up. Subway Series time, buddy. It's weird because the Mets go in with a major leg up over the Yankees. The way they've played over the last six weeks compared to the way the Yankees have played. Having DeGrom, having Scherzer. I almost feel from a Yankee perspective, if you could somehow, some way, get out of these two games with a split, I'm dancing on Oakland, dude. Like, this series is so set up for the Mets to go and win two. Do the Yankees get one? And I think you gladly sign for the idea of not getting swept in all four of these games. It's crazy that 
we're talking about it like it's a playoff series in terms of getting one. But that's how big, you know, if if you're not a New York sports fan, you don't realize the context going back to 2000, the way that the Yankees felt the pressure. Obviously, they won that series, and obviously, they were the better team. But there's always going to be that relationship where the Yankees feel like they have to win. The Mets, the Mets are hungry. They want to win. They want to prove it's their town. But the Yankees feel this pressure to prove everybody right that they're still the team to beat. And now, even though the teams both still feel the same way about themselves, really the expectation, to your point, should be flipped. The, the Mets should be the favorite going into both games. They're the better team all around. So you're right. I think you hope to split if you're the Yankees because right now one team's going one way and one team's going another. Uh, did you enjoy the Hal uh, Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman treatment today? That was uh, I, interesting. I, it was fun, fun talking yesterday because knowing that they were both going to be at the ballpark on Sunday, knowing that they were both going to be introduced, it's like I wonder what types of conversations are being had. Um, you know, it's interesting about Cashman because Yankee fans are obviously upset. They're angry. They want change. And the funny thing about Cashman is it would be easy to call it irrational if it was just this window, right? Since they rebuilt kind of on the fly to now, and you know, since they kind of arrived early in 2017, rebuilt a little bit in 16 till now, if that hadn't worked and it was a new GM in place for that window and you were saying, move on, move on, I'd probably say, give it some time. That's irrational, whatever. Cashman's been here for decades. We know his philosophy. He was burnt by contracts. He won in 09, but he didn't necessarily get the credit for that because he spent all the money on Burnett, Sabathia, and Shara. And then when he was able to trade Miller and Beltron and get the credit for kind of growing a farm system while competing on the fly, that, I think, enhanced his ego into him thinking, I can build the Yankees without spending. I can build the Yankees without just being that juggernaut in free agency every offseason. And once that got in his head, I think it wormed around a little bit too much. And now he's trying to do a little bit of everything. And obviously, he spent the money to get Cole. He brought on the contract to Stanton. But as you look around, him attaching himself to those two guys, I'm not sure has been his best option, either in terms of a starting pitcher or a position player. So any Yankee fan who wants change in the front office, I think if we do get that at some point, it should be amicable. It should be the Yankees saying, look, you've been here for a long time. You've done a lot of great things. You put this team, especially in the last five or six years, within uh, you know shouting distance of a, of a World Series championship. We haven't gotten it. We know your philosophy right, right now. By now, it's ready to move on. And I feel like we're, we're, we're getting closer and closer to that. And if the Yankees fall short, it's a little bit like looking at the Cowboys season, right? If Mike McCarthy doesn't win a Super Bowl, that's Sean, Payton, Sean Payton's job. If the Yankees don't win a World Series this year, I think they make a change in the front. Well, I think it's justified uh, across the board. I do. From a GM perspective, from a managerial perspective, here's this, the, the million-dollar question, though. How's Steinbrenner telling Brian Cashman you're not coming back? You know, that's... that's At uh, some point... At I, some Doug, point, I'm right there with you, but they have been attached at the hip. You know, know. It was part of George's front office. It's, uh, it's a dynamic there. It's a little, little strange, if you ask me. So, hey... These are questions for the month of October and hopefully questions we don't have to answer. We'll see. I mean, Hal is not a player. Hal is not used to getting booed. Hal is used to his family name meaning royalty in the Bronx. And maybe he realizes at this point that in order for him to earn back the respect of the Yankee fan base, it's not just about spending money. 
It's about, you know, flexing your muscles, showing your authority and, and giving people the idea that you are your father's son. And if he comes out and says, you know what, I'm cleaning the house. This is my ship. I'm going to get a new captain to drive it around. That would show, I think, a lot of Yankees fans something. I totally agree with that. It'll be a very interesting couple of months, that's for sure. Do not be a stranger. Uh, continued success. Will, and uh, anytime, you anytime you got the baseball itch, bro, you know where to find me, okay? Me too, man. I appreciate it, JJ. Good to talk to you as always, man. That's good stuff from our buddy Doug Williams. We got a lot more to do. We'll have our finale of the top 15 New York athletes for 2022. Some voicemails, all that and more. It's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Always fun chatting with our buddy, Doug Williams. Now it's time to finish up our top 15 New York athletes for 2022. And I was telling you it's the top eight. I'm such a knucklehead. It's seven. We're down to seven. We did eight the other day. We'll do seven today. It's all semantics at this point, but we got seven names left. I told you guys one particular New York team was going to be happy with my list. So let's finish this bad boy up. We start with number seven. Number seven. Yeah, I'm putting a Temi Panarin number seven on this list. And you're really splitting hairs with a lot of the Ranger guys. I mean, you could probably rank them seven, eight, nine, any which way you'd like. Panarin, an unbelievable offensive player, sets up his teammates. What a good pickup. I mean, the guy is delivered. Now, maybe not as much as you would have liked come playoff time, but premier regular season player. Definitely someone who has jump-started the Ranger offense in more ways than one. We honor, we show love, Atemi Panarin, number seven on the list. Number six. So, it's crazy I'm putting this guy number six on the list considering he's only hitched about, like, three times between 2021 and 2022. And that's the reason he's as low on this list as he is. That's Jacob DeGrom. And... DeGrom last year was number one on our list and earned it. I am dropping him on the list because you got to play. We penalized Kyrie Irving. We have to penalize Jacob DeGrom to some degree. And with the emergence of top flight New York athletes that we have here on this list, what's only fair is fair. I, I love Jake. The guy may still be the best pitcher in all of baseball, but he's having a little bit of a setback on this list. We're putting him at number six because of durability concerns. Let's hear number five. Number five. So at number five, we go with another member of the New York Mets, Pete Alonso. And Pete Alonso has been the total package for this team. 
He has a flair for the dramatic. He provides power in a lineup that doesn't have a whole lot of power in it and is instrumental in getting the Mets going from an offensive standpoint. Pete, since he's come to the big leagues, has done nothing but produce, speaks volumes that he can find his way into the top five here, and he plays every day, rewarding the fact that Pete Alonso gets after it and performs at such a high level. He's number five on this list. Number four. So at number four, he's come down a couple of spots, and this may very well be the last time we put this particular gentleman on this New York list. That's Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant has taken a little bit of a hit here because of the performance of his Brooklyn Nets. Losing in the first round, getting swept in the first round, demanding a trade, acting like a total clown in the process. Yeah, Kevin Durant's not going to be in the top three. Now, this is not a lifetime achievement award. I understand Kevin Durant is still one of the 12 to 15 best players to ever wear an NBA uniform. You know, he's an all-time great. But in New York City, hasn't exactly amounted to a whole lot. He's had some big regular seasons, and that's about it. So, sorry, KD. You're number four on this list. Number three. So, number three, you want to talk about a bigger rise. This guy has made a monster rise. His name is Igor Shesterkin. I told you the Ranger fan was going to be very happy with this list. Shesterkin, one of, if not the best nightminder in the NHL a season ago, was awesome after his two implosions against the Pittsburgh Penguins in the postseason. Brilliant in the Carolina series. Played really well in a losing effort in the Eastern Conference Final. Listen, goaltender excellence has been a theme for the New York Rangers. And you talk about the franchises that are very lucky. The ones that go from Favre to Rogers, Or they go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. Well, the Rangers, they've had that. They go Lundqvist to Shesterkin. Not too shabby. Quite the rise for Igor. He's number three on this list. Number two. I'm putting this guy number two on the list because of the badass attitude that he has brought to the team that plays in Queens. Max freaking Scherzer. And some of you may call me a prisoner of the moment. JJ, you jump in the gun. Think about the impact that Max Scherzer has had since he's come to Queens. He's taken the ball every fifth day. He has pitched like an absolute animal. He would be right there with Alcantara for the Cy Young if he had missed three to four weeks. He's been all you could have hoped for, all you could have asked for, and then some out of a New York athlete. The ultimate hired gun were rewarding the first-year New York athlete. Number two on this list, Mad Max Scherzer. Number one. And number one on this list, and listen, I know some of you may not like this, but too freaking bad. It's got to be Aaron Judge. I mean, the guy is on pace to break Roger Maris's home run record. Let that sink in for a minute. Carrying the New York Yankee lineup, moving to center field and doing so in a brilliant way, and doing all of it in a contract year when everybody's front and center looking at Aaron Judge, same guy who turned down $220 million from the New York Yankees because he bet on himself. I think that has turned out to be a worthwhile investment. And again, we reward the guys who play, and we reward the guys who perform at badass levels. 
You're going to win an MVP? You got a chance to hit 62 home runs this year? Yeah, I think he could be number one on the list. All rise. And I hope that Aaron Judge is back on this list next year. Because if he's not, I'm not going to be a happy camper. All rise. Number one is number 99. That concludes the top 15 New York athletes for 2022. I'm sure when we uh, put this up, it's like an Instagram post. I'm going to have hopefully not as many nasty tweets as I did last year. I mean, I just kind of laughed at most of them. A lot of like angry, disgruntled hockey fans. I uh, thought I showed you guys some love this year. Well, your team had a great season. So it's very easy to do. It's always a very fluid list. But I love that I could push this third and head to Durant. You know what? Durant, I have my reasons for dropping guys on this list. Durant fell. DeGrom fell. Irving dramatically fell. That's, that's what we do around here. And uh, no football players on this list. The only guy I thought about was like Andrew Thomas. And I was like, I can't put Andrew Thomas on this list. Uh, New York football doesn't deserve a top 15 mention until I see it on the field. All right. Voicemails and trivia and a little uh, beat preview for Monday. It's all in store right here on New York, New York. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear debris with the 40-volt jet fan leaf blower. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. How doers get more done. All right, voicemail time. Uh, I'm sure the New York 15 list is going to offend somebody, but that's the idea. 917-382-1151. And I'm bummed out about the Billy show, but we're doing the right thing here. I don't want to go there. We're there five hours early. We're doing a show. We're rocking. We're rolling. And we don't have baseball to play. Trust me, with the events going on with the Yankees and the Mets over the next couple of months, we'll be back at Yankee Stadium. We'll be back at Billy's. We will probably have something set up in the month of October. Maybe we'll do like a live watch party. Might have to set something up along the lines of that. Maybe we'll do something in the city. Uh, but the idea in the hamster wheel is always turning. So stay tuned for when we're going to make up that uh, rescheduled Billy show. But voicemails, let's hear them. JJ, it's Phil from Bedford. Usually I try to stay calm and composed during my voicemail, especially what's been a very good year for the Mets. But get Trevor May out of my fucking life. This guy is so bad. And I don't understand. When he was injured, fucking Billy Epler, oh, we're getting Trevor May back. Trevor May stinks! And the fact that they thought that this guy coming back was an excuse to not get a legitimate upgrade for the bullpen and said only get Michael Gibbons. I mean, if they don't, if they don't get Trevor McGill back, and if they don't get, you know, some sort of, I don't even know, a miracle from the mine or something, but everyone outside of Edwin Diaz stinks. Absolutely fucking stinks. And you know what? Sandy Alderson took control of baseball off for two minutes last year before they hired Jared Porter. Two minutes. You know what his two moves were? Signing Trevor May on the first day of free agency and signing James McCann, who's the worst fucking catcher I've seen in my life. Sandy Alderson is the most overrated executive, and until he's gone, this will not be Stevie Cohen's best yet. He is still holding them back, okay? I mean, the lack of upgrade in the bullpen at the deadline is going to fucking kill this team, even if they win this division, because in October, you know one of them is giving up a big home run later. I feel the same way you do about the Met bullpen outside of Diaz. It scares the crap out of me. And May is a problem. 
The idea that you can count on May to get your big outs in the playoffs is lunacy. Absolute lunacy. The Mets need McGill to come back and be a factor. Adovino's been better than I thought he was going to be. And Diaz has been lights out. Something to watch with the Mets. Whoever is not your fourth starter come playoff time, meaning Carrasco Walker, they should be a bullpen option. And if that means middle or late relief, so be it. That's something I might want to see at the end of the year. I don't know if you can do it now when these guys get back because you're going to need them to start. But those are two guys who, at the very least, one of them could go and maybe be that guy along with McGill. That's why I'm not in full-fledged panic mode over the Met bullpen. But to your point, they did not do enough at the deadline when it comes to their bullpen arms. They did with their lineup. Vogelback's been terrific. Naquin's done a good job. Ruff has been pretty good. Like that compliment of players has worked A-OK. Bullpen, I wanted more. I absolutely wanted more. All right, who's next? Hey, JJ, Charlie from Elmer's calling it. So I'm re-recording this voicemail again to talk about, yeah, Yankees, XL City, finally avoid a sweep at the hands of the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team is day by day with this team. And just like, I just, compliments level still at low. Panic level. I mean, like, how long right now? So, I don't know. So, like, like I need to like, I need to calm down a little bit. But you know, you never know with the team. But it's day by day with the team, it's nice to get a victory. Just take a deep breath and everything. But I actually want to ask this question more because watching Paul O'Neill's retirement ceremony, which is so beautiful, very like. Like watching it, like tears flowing through your eyes, and and starting to think of like in the future, what Yankees players number going to get retired? Like I don't see, I don't see like anybody. Like Paul O'Neill will be the last Yankees player to to his number retire until very very further notice. You can say Judge if he stays beyond this season, like. I think there are a couple of players who deserve the plaque, like CC Sabathia or Godzilla, Hideki Matsui. I mean, Hideki Matsui should, I mean, he deserves the plaque in Monument Park. I mean, not retiring the numbers. I think that it's very, very complicated, uh, path to figure out. So I think in terms of players getting a plaque in Monument Park, CC and Godzilla, Matsui's son, deserve a plaque in Monument Park. So, uh, what do you think about it? What do you think about this uh, thing? What do you think about this, JJ, man? So, yeah. See him. I love the O'Neill ceremony today. O'Neill's my guy. Definitely one of my favorite New York Yankees. We've discussed the idea of the Yankees going overboard with the retired numbers, but you look at some of the numbers that are retired. Reggie Jackson only played five years with the Yankees. Phil Rizzuto getting his number retired, even though Phil Rizzuto was an iconic Yankee broadcaster. As a player, I know he won an MVP, but, you know, the numbers for Paul O'Neill were exemplary. And they end up retiring, you know, a bunch of numbers that you could debate. Reggie is one. Posada is another. It's like, at that point, you can retire Paul O'Neill's number. 
And I'm happy that they did. It was cool. You saw everybody there today. It was emotional. O'Neal was into it. Posada, Bernie, the whole crew's there. As far as who's next, CC Sabathia is an answer I would give you. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He spent a good chunk of his career with the Yankees. I don't know if they'll retire 52, but CC Sabathia is going to have his day in Monument Park. I don't think there's any question. Do they ever give Alex Rodriguez a day? I don't know. I think the steroid stuff is very problematic. And I think the fact that the Yankee organization thought they were going to make so much money on A-Rod, breaking all these home run records, and the fact that A-Rod was a cheat, I think they will forever hold that against him. And that he embarrassed the team, and he was like, you know, a total jerk in the process. And it basically admits that he was a total jerk in the process. I don't know if the Yankees will ever mend the fences enough with A-Rod to say, okay, we, um, we're going to give you a day. We're going to put you in Monument Park. I, I don't think that happens. So CC's probably the guy. And you heard O'Neill mention something at the end of his speech to Aaron Judge saying, how cool is this? Don't you love this? Maybe trying to send a little Sicilian message to Aaron saying, hey, this is a place you want to be. And maybe, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, you could have a day like this. Love the Yankee nostalgia, but listen, right now, I don't want to hear about Yankee nostalgia. I needed a win. Uh, it would have ruined my day if the Yankees would have lost this game. So thankfully, Benintendi, Trevino, and a much-needed sigh of relief, but still a lot more work to do. All right, last but not least. Hey, JJ, it's Anthony from Tom's River. Uh, just finished watching the Yankee game. Thank God they, they locked it in today. And now they're seven games up in the loss column, which is crazy, still being seven games up, losing three out of four. But, um, you know, I'm watching the, these past home series, and I'm seeing these young kids coming up, and they played great, even though the Yankees, you know, for the most part, weren't playing well. Um, do you think that they're eventually going to bring up Peraza and Volpe at some point? Because it seems like these kids are, are, are playing really well. And I think, uh, you know, you're seeing these highlights of, of Volpe just like chilling it in the minors. And some of these guys like, like Hicks and Marwin Gonzalez, like there's no need for these guys to be on the team at this point. And even some of the, the bullpen, uh, you know, you have some guys in the bullpen that shouldn't be on the team uh, come October as well. So uh, just kind of want to get your thoughts on if we're going to see some of these uh, younger prospects come up in September. All right, JJ. Appreciate the call. Um, I'm right there with you. And I was wondering after Friday's game if we'd see it. I was definitely wondering after Saturday's game would we see it. They call up Cabrera. They call up Floreal. When is Peraza getting the call to the show? I don't know if the Yankees are willing to bring up Volpe quite yet, but my counter to that would be, look at what the Atlanta Braves have done. They call up Harris. They call up Grissom from Double A. They're playing great. And they're playing in a pennant race. They're playing in big games for the Atlanta Braves. So you want to tell me, hey, Peraza's more big league ready? All right, great. Get him up to the big leagues. What are we waiting for? I hope that move happens sooner rather than later. And I don't want to hear about service time. I don't because the Yankees should be in the business of trying to win games and trying to win a world championship. And if Peraza is the shortstop that gives you the best chance to do so, you should be on the team. But I wouldn't rule it out. And it shouldn't be ruled out from a Yankee standpoint. It's one of the moves they can make while they're waiting for Stan, which I think is going to be on this West Coast trip. I don't think he plays in the Mets series. I don't think you bring him back first game to Cromp, Scherzer. No, I'd pass on that. Let me get my feet wet against Oakland and Anaheim. Get going there and then get ready for the month of September. Yankee lineup should look 
heck of a lot better once Stanton and then, of course, Carpenter return. That bullpen, though. You know my feelings on Chapman. Holmes nowhere to be found. How are they going to piece together that bullpen over the next couple of weeks? That's going to be a challenge for Aaron Boone and company. Major, major challenge. All right. Good stuff for voicemails. We're going to have a couple of live shows after these Subway Series games. Don't worry. They will be up as podcasts. We'll be rocking and rolling. Um, I don't know what the Subway Series schedule is going to be. Uh, weather, at least for Monday, is just very, very wacky. So, fluid situation, as they say. All right. Trivia time. Larry, you have been sending me trivia questions left and right. But now, it's go time. Now it counts for real. So, I'm ready for you, baby. Let's go. Yo, JJ, good win today. Here's the trivia. Pete Alonso became the third Matt in franchise history to have three 30 homeward seasons before the age of 30. Who are the other two? Second question is, there's been four short four stops in Major League history to have 300 doubles and 150 homers in their first 10 seasons. Who are they? I'm out. All right. We'll start with the Met question first. The first one, it's got to be the straw man, Daryl Strawberry. One down, one to go. Um, The other, third Met, 30 homers, 330 home run seasons before the age of 30. David Wright. Not David Wright. Okay. Not David Wright. Hmm. See, I thought Beltron would be too old, so he wouldn't fit the description. Alonzo is one. Daryl Strawberry is two. Man. It's a tough question. Tough, tough question. Is it Mike? Piazza. It is not Mike Piazza. Three 30 home run seasons before the age of 30. I'm shocked they haven't gotten this because the Mets have not exactly had a lot of whole, you know, a whole lot of prolific power hitters throughout, you know, their franchise's history. All right, I'm taking one more stab at this before I ask for a hint. Stefan, is it Rusty Staub? It's not Rusty Staub. All right. Now we got to phone a friend. Was I on the right track with any of my guesses? So the last guy, he led the Mets for uh, home runs. Last guy who led the league in home runs as a Met. We talked about this. He All right. So we had a conversation at a game, Yankees-Mets. The last Met, to lead the league in home runs. Oh, man. It's not Todd Hundley, is it? Okay, it's not Todd Hundley. 90s player, Stefan? 80s player? 90s Met player. Oh, man. You led the league in home runs as a Met? As a New York Met. 
It's not Daryl. We gave him out. It's not Hunley. It's not Bobby Bonilla, is it? Who is it? You done? Yeah, I'm done. Howard Johnson. Howard Johnson led the home. The, no, there's no way, dude, he led. Hojo led it with, yeah, actually, you know, that makes sense. 38 home runs in, in 1991. 1991. You know what? I, I always think of Howard Johnson, Stefan, as like a late 80s Met. And for whatever the reason, I don't want to tie him in to the early 1990s. But yes, 1991, 38 home runs. Hojo. Hojo. Bad job. Should have gotten that. Should have gotten that. That's going to annoy me. All right. We were uh, we were halfway there. Halfway there. All right. Now the next one. Four shot stops, 300 doubles, 150 home runs. What is this, Stefan, in their first five years in the big leagues? Okay. The first would be Alex Rodriguez. No, really? That is surprising. That is surprising. Definitely expected A-Rod to be on that list. Okay. Nomar Garcia Parra. That is one. Uh, number two, Robin Yount. No, okay. Okay. Um, so Garcia Parra is one. Three other shortstops to do it. Hmm. Carlos Correa. Correa not on the list. Okay. Wow, we are whiffing. I I, I was so confident going in these. We got one of the answers. Whoop the freaking do. I'm taking one more guess, and then we got we got we got to go to work here. I I I I don't know why I'm blanking on these guys today. It's just not my trivia performance. What can I tell you? Fernando Tatis Jr. All right. Since I am clearly going in the wrong direction, Stefan, help me help me get in the right direction, shall we? So these are guys you've all watched, all four okay. of them, right? You got one down, which is Nomar. I give you this is a cherry. Two of the other guys play for the same franchise as Nomar, which is the Boston Red Sox. Meaning they are they are Red Sox players. They played for the Red Sox at one point in their careers, correct? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, Henley Ramirez. There you go. That's two. That's a that's a good hint, Stefan. That's a good hint. Uh number three, Trevor Story. No, okay. So the other guy played for the Red Sox. Hanley is one. Shortstops. Mm. Xander Bogarts? Okay. I didn't expect Xander to be on this list. Impressive. Very impressive. All right. So now the, the final one. 
Are you phoning in a hint here? Yeah, I need a hint. I need a hint. Another, an AL East guy. You remember him from the AL East. Okay. And you see them play in your lifetime. A very popular uh, shortstop at, at one point in his career. Very popular shortstop. Played in the American League East. Cal Ripken Jr.? See, I, I didn't think it was Cal because he started his career at third base. American League East, very popular player. Man. Hmm. Orioles, no. Is it Troy Tulowitzki? Not Troy Tulowitzki, even though I would think of him more as a Colorado Rocky than a Toronto Blue Jay, but that is okay. Miguel Tejada. There we go. See, it, it, it took a little work. And I would, it, it's funny you give me that hint, Stefan, and I know he signed a big deal with the Orioles. I always think of Miguel Tejada as an A, not an Oriole. But, you know, that's, that's just me. That's just me. He uh he got the big contract with the Orioles. I I I agree. He did win his MVP over in Oakland. Um, he yeah. had some big years in Baltimore, though. I yeah, mean, he, but had he was some really good in Baltimore years. too. Yeah, yeah that's, that's why years. I was like, you know what? I kind of since we were in, I, I was just thinking since we were at Boston, I was like, let's just keep it at East right here. That I mean, think about it, Miguel Tejada. I'm looking at his baseball reference page: 150 RBIs in the 2004 season for the Orioles. 150 RBIs, dude. Crazy. All right. Jeff Bunny, it is a Monday baseball card. You may see a preseason football game or two you may like. Uh, what may be your pleasure, sir? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks from Monday, August the 22nd. So I got one game through in the baseball action. I'm going to go with the Chicago White Sox, minus the 140 over the Kansas City Royals. Again, I'm going to go with the Chicago White Sox, minus the 140. And everyone can always follow all, all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. You know, Jeff Money, I thought you were going to give me the Mets as a play against Domingo Herman. You, you wanted to spare me. Maybe you're scared of weather. Who the hell knows? Um, you want to know why I like that White Sox bet? They got rained out today. That means Dylan C should be going in that game. You're going to want to get that White Sox game as soon as possible because... They announced Dylan Cease is going. That's going to go from like 150 to like 175, 180. Dylan Cease outside of Verlander, probably the uh, second best pitcher in the American League this season. Guy's been so, so good. I mean, the great Tommy Keenan and I have him on our fantasy team. He and Nesta Cortez have single-handedly saved our pitching staff. We're like five out of a playoff spot with two weeks to go. So, uh, you know, big-time fantasy baseball maneuvering left and right, adding and dropping guys like there's no tomorrow. I can't wait. Can't wait. All right. It's a food week, but I promise you we'll have all sorts of content for the Subway Series. Post-game shows. We'll have it posted on the New York, New York pod. Working on something special coming up early, uh, later on this week. And we're going to have a show announcement for the football season. Can't tell you what it is yet, but we got something big brewing. Something big is brewing uh, for the football season. You'll find out what it is in due time. Go work by Stefan. Enjoy your Monday. Hopefully we have baseball later on tonight. And the weather gods didn't cooperate with Billy's. What can I say? Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. 
Sometimes it rains. JJ signing off. Enjoy your Monday. Enjoy the baseball. Be good, everybody.